I am so excited. Let me tell you, I've had a great Father's Day weekend. I appreciate yesterday the men's breakfast, and if you were there, I, I, I tell you what, Alex, Dustin, Bruno were the cooks, um, and uh, they realized that the ladies of the church know where the things to cook are, where the men's ministry might not have known where everything was until we got here. But, uh, and then uh, uh, Rich Vaccaro did a great job speaking. Uh, Commander Rich, let me tell you, uh, he served in the, the military and just blessed us with a wonderful uh, sermon, devotional. And uh, if you don't know Rich, he flew jets. He catches bullets. I'm not for sure, but I think he wrestles alligators and crocodiles. But uh, he shared with us on the importance of focus. And uh, I, I was privileged to have my sons there and listen to that. And, and you know, it, it's just a wonderful week. You know, we, we celebrate Mother's Day. And mothers, let me tell you, you're important. But let me tell you, us fathers really enjoy it. And if, if you... Uh, if you receive a, a gift from your children, you know, it, it's something special. And uh, I, I've done that, and I, I'm just blessed to, every year it falls close to my birthday. So, uh, you know, those that have birthdays on Christmas, a lot of times you get little double presents. And uh, so uh, for Father's Day, I don't always get the traditional Father's Day gift of a tie or something, you know, but, but also... Watch out, a Texas Longhorn Steakhouse dinner. Not just a dinner, but the Delmonico steak. Now, now when we showed up, didn't have enough room for all the family, so the guys sat together at the first of it, and then they found a way to put us all together. But four hungry guys, the Millers, looked up at the waitress with pouty eyes when she said, Sorry, we're all out of Delmonico steaks. I didn't say that, but I wanted to say this. You don't know who we are. We're, we're the favorite of God. Could, could you check again? And she came back with a big smile and said, my manager said we found four Delmonico steaks. So I just want to let you know who's the favorite of God this morning. I thought this was interesting. I would like to read it because there's no way that I could get it perfect. A small town prosecuting attorney called his first witness to the stand in a trial. A grandmotherly elderly woman. He approached her and asked, Mrs. Jones, do you know me? And she responded, why yes, I do know you, Mr. Williams. I've known you since you were a young boy. And frankly, you've been a big disappointment to me. You lie, you cheat on your taxes, you manipulate people, you talk about them behind their backs. You think you're a rising big shot when you haven't the brains to realize you will never amount to anything more than a two-bit paper pusher. Yes, I do know you. The lawyer was stunned, not knowing what to say. He just going and mumbled. And he pointed across the room and asked Mrs. Jones, Do you know the defense attorney? 
She replied, what? Yes, I do. I do know Mr. Bradley since he was a youngster too. I used to babysit him for his parents. And he too has been a very disappointment to me. He's lazy. He's, a, he's bigoted. And he's, he has a drinking problem. That man can't have a normal relationship with anyone. And his law practice is one of the shoddiest in the entire state. Oh, yes, yes, I do know him. At this point, the judge wrapped the courtroom to silence and called both counselors to the bench. In a very quiet voice, he said this, If either one of you ask her if she knows me, you'll be jailed for contempt. <laughs> now, a lot of times, men, there are those voices that are in our head that say, yeah, I know you and you're a disappointment to me. But to realize your identity in God is secure. To realize the songs that we sing and the confessions that we make in those songs and, and, and to realize that God has created us for a purpose, that we can look at those voices or hear those voices and say, that, that's not me. And even though somebody would say, yeah, yeah, no, that might have been my past, but it is not my present or my future. It's amazing when you know the Word of God and, and you realize that Jesus, in, in teaching His disciples, started with calling, listen, calling God as a Father. He, he said, this is how you pray, and He started the prayer with what? Our Father who art in heaven. It's amazing how we have time sometimes just to sit and understand the loving kindness that our God Father has for us. Today is Father's Day, and I want you to be honored. And I want you to realize that your duty and your responsibilities as a father is not an easy one, especially in the world that we live in at the present moment. One time I heard a story about a father that was very, you know, loving of his sons and he had triplets and, and he wanted to do right. He, he wanted to discipline them and give them boundaries. But these triplets, these little boys were just perfect, but, but they kind of got ornery at one season of their life. And, and, and they were so loyal to each other, they kind of made a pact that they would not tattletale on each other. Well, if you know, as a father, sometimes it's hard to know who did something that needed to be disciplined because if your children were like mine, they're all like, I don't know who did that. So they asked the father, they said, you got triplets and they're so loyal. How, how do you know which one to discipline when one of them does something wrong? And he said, well, what I do is I, I send them to bed without dinner. And then in a couple hours, I go up and I check them and the one with the black eye, I spank Because sometimes you got to be smarter than the offender. Probably the best known parable in the scripture, we, we've, we've come to know it by the prodigal son. And even though that a lot of times in, in the story, the prodigal son, there's three characters and we know them well. The, the prodigal son sometimes takes the starring role and, and then we have the father and then we have the older brother. This morning, I'm not talking just about the prodigal son or the older brother, but the title of my message is 
the waiting father. You know, we talked about it last week and through the series that we're going through, the wonderful invention of love. And, and in this series, we're, we began with the thought of trying to, again, come to the revelation personally for each one of us who God is. And not based on somebody's opinion, but the Word of God. And once we realize the Word of God is God's Word saying, this is who I am. Not based on some experience that you have or, or grandmas, even though sometimes they mean well. No, no, no. Who does God say he is? Because when you go through hard times in your life, and sometimes you'll go through depression, and people go through depression, and they won't even know they're in depression, but then they'll question what? Is God really who he says he is? Can he really do what he says he can do? And as we're going through this series and we get to this place and we title this message, The Waiting Father, again, I go back to what I talked about in the covenant and we're, we're going to take the Lord's Supper again today at the end of the message. And I want you again to see Isaiah 30, verse 18. And again, some of you might need to take a picture of this. And some of you might need to put a reminder. If you don't know your phone, most of your phones, you can put a reminder. Confess this passage. And when that pops up, you can do a repeat every day. And you go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you go to your pictures and read this passage of the Amplified Classic Version that says this. When you begin to doubt who God is, it says, And therefore the Lord earnestly waits, expecting and looking and longing to be gracious to you. See, that goes against what our culture tells us. That God is some motorcycle cop, you know, with, with boots up to his knees and the, the mirrored glasses, and he comes, raps on the window and says, You speed, you're going to... Whatever. We see him as a judge because somebody told us. He wasn't a loving God, but he was a judge. He was not merciful. But God says of himself, I, I'm looking and longing and expecting to be gracious to you. And therefore, it says, because of that, and therefore, he lifts himself up that he may have mercy on you and show loving kindness to you. For he's a God of justice. Now, now listen to that. We sing songs that the overwhelming Reckless love of God that he chases me down and fights till I'm found. This is what this passage is saying. That he's looking and longing and even expecting to be gracious to you. And show loving kindness to you. So this is our response as children. And, and this morning as we're going to talk about these three characters, two of them are sons. But there's... Today in our, our service, there's symbols of children, possibly on Father's Day, that are here this morning. Well, Pastor, I'm not a Father's Day. I don't expect to get a, a Father's Day gift because I'm not in. I'm a, I'm a woman, or I don't have children, or I don't have a father that's living. All of us are children, and all of us have had a father. So. If you want to be blessed and happy, th this is what I know. And as a pastor, it doesn't take long just because I'm a pastor to figure this out. But if you have everything it takes to fog up a mirror 
You know what I mean? You're breathing, you're still alive. People want to be happy. But they overlook this. Blessed, which means happy, fortunate, even to be envied, are those who earnestly wait for Him. And then listen to what it says. And then they expect, look and long for Him, His victory. So what are you doing? You're, you're getting up in the morning and, and just as a kind of an illustration, looking out the window. What are you looking for? Well, God's going to show up. He's, he's got an appointment when they did it. What? To show loving kindness to me. What, what kind of loving kindness? His victory, his love, his kindness, his unmatchless companionship. And people go, you crazy. Maybe I am, but watch. Because I'm looking, I'm longing, and I'm expecting Again, a father who waits. Not just for the son to come home, but to wait, to look, to bless you. Fathers, let me just encourage you that during the times that you question and hear the voices maybe of that little lady, you know, oh, you've been a disappointment to me. You are not a disappointment to God, your father. The passage starts in Luke chapter 15 and verse 11, and, and Jesus is talking. And, and wouldn't you love to be here where Jesus just telling the story? But it's a parable. It, it has uh, earthly meaning and heavenly meaning, and it's going to be brought out as a principle. And it says this, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. How many sons did he have? Just seeing if you're keeping up. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country. Uh, did you ever wonder if he was surprised that the father did divide the estate? What an amazing father. So he goes to a distant country and there he squanders his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything there, there was a severe famine. You could just say the circumstances changed, just like they do in our lives. Severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. This is, this is an amazing responsibility as a father as you see this story take place because, fathers, do you remember the child that made you a father? See, for me, it was my oldest, and, and his name is Luke, and, and, and John had a lot of goals and dreams and visions, but mostly they were just for me and, and the little blonde, you know what I mean? We're going we're gonna to do this, we're going to buy that, we're going to go there, we're going to do that. And all of a sudden, that paradigm shifted when I held in my hands that little blue-eyed boy that's looking back at me. Now, I don't think he talked. Now, he talked four languages before he was a year, and he could run around the room at six months. Not, but having you talked to parents like that? I guess not, or none of you are admitting it, because your children didn't do that either. But he wasn't saying it, but I was hearing him talking. Dad, you got all the responsibility of taking care of me. And all of a sudden, looking into that little, little baby's eyes and realizing the responsibility that was coming, I looked back on my childhood like a lot of us fathers and mothers do, and we begin to look at our parents in a whole different light. Th this morning, I want to give you four very important lessons on this, 
And then I'm going to, at the end, come back into our series of the amazing waiting Father. As I looked into that little baby's eyes and, and how we had four wonderful children. And, and I'm going to do something a little bit different. I don't think I've ever done this. But I want to ask my just my children, Luke, to stand. Luke, he's in the sound booth. And then we got Heath. Would you stand? And then we have Mark. If Brooke. Is Brooke in here? Okay. I was hoping she didn't take down to Quick Trip to get a Coke or something. Anyway. <laughs> now, I, I would like uh, Sabelle. She's my daughter, my wonderful addition in May. May's back here. Well, we have her positioned in the ready, set, go position, you know. <laughs> and then Ashley, if you'll stand. And we're still believing by faith for Brooks. But anyway, <laughs> it doesn't help to have four, or, yeah, four men, all four Gospels. Heath's middle name is Matthew, so you got <laughs> Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all the Gospels. We tell her, yeah, sure, you can date anybody just as long as they can pass the gauntlet, you know. Bring them on. These are my children. Let's give them a hand. They blessed me last night by taking me out to eat, and then they went over to our house, and they surprised me. You can sit down. Thank you very much. And they had a, a video. Does anybody ever remember the reel to reel that, that you had that project? Harvey's. <laughs> I was there. <laughs> then, after that, you know, it was horrible because they you just moved those little things and it was all over the place, you know. So my mother and father had one of those, and Gwen had. I don't know where she got it, but it went from the, the reel-to-reel to VHS. Do you remember those VHS? And then somebody took it and put it on a DVD. Pretty soon they're going to put it on a link to stream it, you know, probably. But, but they showed that last night, and, and again, I, I saw my father. My father, in my life, passed away when I was 17 in a car accident. And I, I didn't get to say goodbye. And it, it was something that was, it affected me. And, and by the grace of God, he's come around me and comforted me all through these years. But, but I read this, and, and I want you to listen. This is kind of the, the process, isn't it, of, of children. At four years of age, you say, my daddy can do anything. At five. My daddy knows a whole lot. At six, my daddy is smarter than your dad. I remember growing up, I, I had some uh, Hispanic friends and their grandmother babysitted them. Maybe some of you have heard this story and, and all she could speak is Spanish. But my dad took two semesters in college of Spanish and I said, oh no, my dad can speak better than your grandmother. And they're like, pretty sure he can't. <laughs> but isn't that a six-year-old's view of their father? My dad is smarter than your dad. At eight years old, my dad doesn't know exactly everything. At ten, 
In the old days when my dad grew up, things were different. And at 12 years of age, oh well, naturally father doesn't know about that. He's too old to remember his childhood. At 14, don't pay any attention to my father. He's old-fashioned. At 21, him, my Lord, he's hopelessly out of date. At 25, dad knows a little bit about it, but he should because he's been around a long time. At 30, maybe... Maybe we should ask Dad what he thinks. After all, he's had a lot of experience. At 35, I'm not doing a single thing until I talk to Dad. At 40, I wonder how Dad would have handled it. He was wise and had a world of experience. And at 50, I'd give anything if dad were here now so I could just talk to him about talk things over with him too bad I didn't appreciate how smart he was I could have learned a lot from him that, that's how I feel because at 17 years of age my perspective was totally different than what it is today and so this Morning is we're going through these next quick four points. I want you to look at it not only as a father, if you're here as Father's Day, but if you're a child and you look at it to realize that sometimes we're in a, a perspective problem. When, when you get out of your view of things, then you begin to see your identity of who you are in God, and all of a sudden everything changes. That the first thing that I want you to know, you that are fathers here this morning this passage of scripture really teaches us that we should be able to tell our children there's a day coming that you are free they, they tell us that child psychiatrists tell us that studying children that the first years of their life are the so so important because it begins to set things into perspective and it, it sets the trend of what they're going to think and the, the habits that they create and the mindset that they have. And a lot of times we don't think with the end in mind. And, and we went through this series not too long ago and we remember where we broke up into groups before church and we did the eight habits of highly effective Christians. And one of them was to think with the end in mind. And so many times, Dad, what we do is we have children and we say, you know, one day I'll be able to impart wisdom to them. But no, no, that day starts the day that you bring them home. That you're proactive to the place that you begin to speak into their life who they are. With the intent of one day saying, you're free to make your choice. Because of all the things that you have put into their life up to the day, it might be 18, it might be 19, for my children, and, and as a pastor, I've talked to a lot of people, and I say, so how's your son doing? Well, he's 18, what can I do now? And I want to look at him and go, what do you mean? He lives at your house, doesn't he? Well, yeah, but he's 18. What do you mean? Doesn't he eat at your house? Yes, he eats at my house, but he's 18. The glass has got to come up. And I say, wait just a minute. There is not a magic line in the sand at 17 
11 months and whatever, 30 days that they jump across to, I don't need anybody. And you'll be speaking into your children's life, even though you're saying, I know that there's a day coming that you'll be free to make your own choices. I'm going to be speaking the truth into your life, and I want you to let, I want to let you know that even, even if you choose the wrong path, I'll be waiting for you. I love you. Even if they experience the far country, the distant country. The second thing, Dad, is your children need to know, as they grow older, they, they need to know, I love you. I think it's the, the most terrible mistake for, for parents to say, if you're good, Daddy loves you. If you're bad, not so sure. I know that when my children were little that they would do something and, you know, do something as children do and, and I would have to discipline them. And, of course, they didn't like to be disciplined. Nobody likes discipline. But they would come back in a few minutes, if not a few hours, and kind of, you know how children do, and they kind of kind of nestle up to you. They're trying to say, do, can, can you reassure me? Do you still love me? Do you still believe in me? One of my children, which I won't say his name, but his initials are Heath Miller. <laughs> he realized that love wasn't just hugs and kisses, that sometimes it was discipline, but he was, oh, a mama's boy. He loved to make mommy happy and smile. And, and we, 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 we kind of make fun, but at the same time, we're, we're, it was so endearing for us as parents. Because he would see mom and say, mom would say, that's not good. And Heath with big old tears said, mommy happy? Mommy happy? No, mommy's not happy. You did what was wrong. Mommy happy? <laughs> mommy happy? He had to get things right. And if you know anything about his mother, she would wrap her arms around him and say, mommy's happy. Mommy and Daddy love you very much. I think this, this passage teaches us also that they need children need to hear, I forgive you. There's always something that children are going to do. Can I get an amen? amen. For all the children that are in the house, can I hear an amen? amen. There's always something that we as children, that are going, we're going to do something wrong. We mess up. And just like we are so appreciative and we sing the song, God, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. That our children need to hear, I forgive you. There's something that's reassuring of realizing that even though through all the hard discipline, and what I mean by discipline is not beating your children or, you know, doing all the crazy stuff. I'm just saying giving them boundaries to know what's right and wrong. And when they... Don't do what's right and wrong to correct them and bring them back and to say, I forgive you. In this story, it says that the father said, bring back the best, or bring in the best robe and the ring. I want him to know that he's forgiven. You know, when, when people realize how important church is 
I, I, I think it is so important to have your children in church as much and as possible as, as you can. They, they need to hear from other people, not just mom and dad, even though mom and dad are the number one priority. But when they're understanding that they are forgiven, it, there, there's something about, you know, like, like the little girl in Sunday school, you know, where, where they, you know, showed a picture of Jesus and, and the little girl goes, I, I'm not for sure his name, but I'm pretty sure he goes to church. To realize the value of your children hearing the word of God and then confirming it at church. So critical. And, th and then the fourth thing that I want you to know and take with you, and it's so overlooked, but your children need to hear, I enjoy you from a loving father. To hear you're, you're more like a friend than you are just a, a son or a daughter, even though that's very important. You know, each one of my children I've done something with, and, and for, for Gwen and I, we, we kind of made it, if you're going somewhere, grab a child. And most of the time, if you've had children, they go, I don't want to go. And even if they said, I don't want to go, Get in the truck. <laughs> Don't we agree that the hardest place of going anywhere is the first step out of the house? And then the enjoyment, and then the relationship. You know what they say the best activity for a family is? Camping. And the reason why is it doesn't go smooth. It has the greatest chances of problems. You forget something, you mess up, you don't do this, you should have done that, you, you know. But in that, you're creating memories that you're working through in a little snapshot, little event that you won't forget. And some of you have gone camping with your family go, oh, yes, it is. Spending time with your children and saying, I, I enjoy being around you. Now, now, this morning, I want you to see something. Because spending time with our children and helping them realize the importance of eternity. Some of you have heard Max Licato and he's written some wonderful, he's probably one of the best descriptive writers that, for Christian books that I've ever read. And he talks about when his children were little and he would get out of the airplane after traveling a ways and he would get into the corridor after the airplane. You know how you walk down the long corridor? And then he said he would, he would be looking for his family. And when he turned the corner of the corridor, he said his family was there, his wife and his two little girls. And he said that they would be smiling and, and one of the daughters would always be clapping now that dad's home. He says our goal as parents is one day to take our children and help them realize that one day they'll enter into the corridors of heaven. And there will be people that have gone on before us and heaven will applaud as we turn the corridor and see our loving Father God and Jesus there waiting for us. Now this morning it's so important for you to understand those responsibilities that are there as fathers. But this morning in the, just the next few minutes I want to again bring out the loving, amazing kindness of our waiting Father. 
See, this passage of scripture is also, you know, we know it as the prodigal son, but I want to read it to you out of Luke 15, verse 17. See, the, the story is that the son goes on a journey, or, or let me say this, goes on a, a really a wild living spree. And in this verse, it says that he comes to his senses. I want you to understand that. Because a lot of times, depending on how old you are, it's not what you don't know that'll get you in trouble. It's what you know for sure that just isn't so. And see, this guy knows. He he knows it. He he's he he's he's see, dad doesn't know. I know that it's gonna be better for me. But this this first sentence, when he comes to his senses, all of us here today are children. It says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? Now, now I want you to see the thought process, because words will change your thinking. Watch, watch the words that are going on in his mind. What is being attacked? It's his identity of who he is. He's thinking, I, I, can, I can come down and I, I can just be a, a hired servant. It, it goes on to say, how many of his father's hired servants had food to spare and here I am starving to death. Do, do you hear the reasoning? The compromising of his identity. In verse 18 it says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Listen. I am not worthy to be called your son. I am not worthy to be called your son. See, I might be your son, but I'm admitting now to you, I'm giving you something because I'm not worthy. I've messed up. I'm not worthy. Have you ever been there before? Maybe you're there now. And there's some sons and daughters that are staying in the distant country because they will not come to the grips. I'd be better back with my father. Can I, can I just tell you right now that these three characters in this story, that, that let's, let's talk just because I'm going to just eliminate him real quick, is the older brother. We know that before I go on any further, if you've read this story before, the older brother is the one that says to the father, you never gave me even something small to celebrate with my family, or my, my friends, he says. And his father says, pretty much think about it, sum it up. I've divided already everything that I have between you and the other brother. Everything is yours. Go ahead and have a party. I think that sometimes as children, we don't even realize who we are and what is at our disposal with the benefits and the blessings of being children of God. And we forfeit it. We, this guy has never even asked. Ask, seek, and knock. And some people are just complaining. I, I don't see it. I don't taste it. I don't touch it. Did you ever have faith? No, I, I got to see it. So this morning, just, just let, let's just not talk about him this morning. And I want to focus on the younger brother. And I want to focus on the waiting father. So he comes to his senses and he thinks, I'm not worthy. 
He says, I've sinned against heaven and against you. <clears throat> he says this. He says, I'm no longer worthy to call your son. Make me like one of your hired hands or servants. Make me. Do you hear this? I want you to commission me now as a new identity. I, I'm not worthy, so I'm a hired person. I, I'm going to just stay on this a minute because some of us are in that place right now. I'll never be like I would be if I wouldn't have made that mistake. I, I would, let me tell you, if, until you get a revelation of how good God is, you will always say, you know, I'm not worthy. And so what happens? He says, I'm going to set off. I'm going to go back. So he got up and he went to his father. Look at the father now. Can you sit just a minute? Because some of you are fathers here today. And I want you to sit in this seat. See, so many of us sit in the prodigal son seat and we get a good perspective of that is, and we get overwhelmed with the loving of the waiting father. But this morning, can, can you switch over and just sit and, and take a different perspective of the loving father? Because here's what the story says. Sometimes we get overwhelmed by hearing the story and, and the love, but we go to the prodigal son to receive it or not. It says... The son's on his way home. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to the father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That's an identity crisis that's going on there. The loving, waiting father responds. Listen, this is how he responds. This is the crisis. I don't believe that I'm who I should be. I don't, I'm not worthy. I, I can just be a hired servant. I can be... But when the identity crisis comes on, the waiting, loving father steps up and shows his loving kindness. But the father said to his servant, But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe. Last week we were on the subject of the covenant again, talking about Jonathan and David and doing a, cutting a covenant. And do you remember what one of the gifts to signify the covenant was? It was his robe. Now realize that in this time, a robe was very expensive and it had different elevations. In other words, when, when you were of a different uh, statue, like a king's son, like in the case of Jonathan, everybody that saw his robe knew that that was a king's son. Nobody, a commoner is not going to wear a robe that looks like that. All the way to a servant that probably didn't even own a robe. The son comes home and says, make me a servant. The father says, quick, quick, you're my servant, get it, the robe. And when they bring a robe, he wants it quickly to put around his son. 
Why? So that everybody can see that he's... That the son is Saul, been seen, and he realized now he's a son. No, you, you aren't going to be a servant, and nobody out here that I have influence over is going to see you as a servant. Quick! The, the question to the identity problem is, I want you to know, and I want everybody to know, that you're my son. Now listen, it says this. It gets better. He says, quick, get a ring and put it on his finger. The, the signet ring of a family was known just like the robe is, is something that was unmistakable. They, they did not hand those out to servants. They did not hand those out to other people. But only to family because that would signify. And anybody that would carry the signet ring of that family would be a part of the family with the benefits of the family. Now, the father, and you're sitting in that seat and you're, you're, you're looking at it a different way. And can, can you just a minute again slip back over to the seat of the son? He's in a rink. Who knows what has happened to his first rink? Maybe he lost it in the pig pen. Maybe he hocked it to try to get food or maybe to, to do some more craziness. But when the father is saying, I know how expensive that ring was, but it doesn't matter to me because you're more important to me. Go get a ring. And then the next thing he says is go get sandals and put it on his feet. A servant sometimes didn't even have shoes. But a son... Always had shoes. The crisis is, I don't think that I am who I should be or I've messed up so I, I've disqualified myself. And the father says, let me just tell you right now, do you believe that I'm the father? Yes, you're the father. You're my son. And the waiting father says, get, get a robe. And, and, and the whole action of quick. Because what he is saying, I'm not even acknowledging. And then it says something that we overlook because we see that there's a celebration and a feast, but when we say, bring the fatted calf and kill it. We've been talking about the covenant and we've been taking the Lord's Supper to remind us of what Jesus did for us on the cross. I believe, now this is conjecture on John Miller's part, but I believe that there is an, a reestablishment of the covenant between his fa the Father and the Son. I want to let you know that what is of value, the fatted calf, we're going to cut, we're going to end so that we can celebrate a new beginning. And these words come out of his mouth. For this son of mine was dead... And is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. He was lost and now he's found. The overwhelming love of our Father that chases us down and fights till we're found. He chases us down and fights till. What, what, what do you mean, found? When we realize who we are in Him. And the only way that you and I realize who we are in Him is to believe who He is. And the power and the, the, 
the amazing loving kindness that he has for us. I, I read all that and that means so much to me, but you know what just almost pulls my hair out with over, just overwhelming love? is I love the story of the robe, I love the sandals, I love the ring, I love the fatted calf, but the, 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 the point that, again, that I want you to get, don't leave today, fathers, don't leave children without hearing this. Sit in this seat, and the overwhelming love is when it says this, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And he was filled with compassion for him. How in the world does he see him a long ways off? And number two is how does he even know who he is? He's, he's in pig pen clothes. That's not who I remember my son is. I, who is that? But a loving, waiting father has been looking, longing, and expecting to show kindness to his son. And the day that he sees that boy walking down that road. The Bible, not John Miller. The Bible says that he was filled with compassion and ran to his son, throwing his arms around him and kissed him. Can anybody tell me that you're not overwhelmed when you sit in the prodigal son seat? with the love that the Father showed. But what I'm telling you this morning is not only do you have to be a prodigal. Because today I want you just to not think of yourself as a prodigal. Because you don't have to be a prodigal for our loving Father to be waiting on you and loving you and raising himself up to show loving kindness and mercy on you. Because our Father, when you begin to sit, and, and if you're a father here today, you, you can get this about one billion, you know, one point billion of what God does for us. But for our children, we love them. This morning I want you to know that, I, I know that I, I'm about ready to be a grandfather. And you know how it is, man. You're, you are you kidding me? i got to buy a minivan? I, I'm not a minivan kind of guy. I'm a Corvette kind of guy. But the day that you become a grandfather, you're kind of like, I don't need a cane. Don't want a cane. All those thoughts. But when it comes down to, again, a grandfather that's looking into the eyes of that little baby, and what was going through my mind 28 years ago with Luke? And then Heath and May are going to have theirs and Sabelle. And, and it just the, the, the amazing change that comes over me of changing seats and looking with a different perspective than what I did when I was 5 or 20. Can we all come to our senses and say, God, I love you. Thank you so much for what you've done for me. This morning I would like our ushers to, or if not, you do not have one of the communion cups, would you um, ask if you just raise your hand, they'll give you one. But the worship team, if they'll come back up, we're going to take the Lord's Supper.
And again, through all these messages, we're reminded through the juice, the blood of Christ, the, the bread, the body of Christ, that God says, I love you so much that I will enter into a covenant with you. We're going to pray for those that are not with us today. They're in the hospital or sick. Tracy Groves, we're going to pray for her. We're going to pray for uh, Jim and, and Wayne Sparks. If you have somebody that you know that needs prayer, we're going to, again, believe that by the covenant, we're going to agree in prayer today for healing in the body. As you sing just this song, just, just listen to what the words say. And as you confess that, then I'll come back up. We'll take the Lord's Supper. And again, we're getting into agreement. We're giving our mouth a chance to confess what's in our heart. God, I love you. I know it's hard, but can you stand and take the Lord's Supper together? Why don't you just stand and let's sing this song together.